Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. I'll tell you, it is one of the busier sports business weeks I can remember. A lot to cram into the upcoming hour. We're going to try and do it. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. We're going to talk NFL. That is what everyone is talking about this week. We'll get to that in Segment 2, some headlines there. In Segment 3, Rand Gatlin, Synergy Sports, he's joined us before. Tell you what, there's a lot of scandal going on in college football this week from the Sports Illustrated story that came out, really talking about how top 25 programs not doing background checks on players. We've also got another story breaking where the University of Oregon's football program may be in trouble. We'll discuss all of this with Rand Gatlin in segment three. In segment four, Jason Cole, he's the NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports, does a fantastic job. A big ruling this week in favor of the players. We'll tell you about that because it may affect the outcome of the collective bargaining agreement negotiations. That's coming up. Jason Cole, Yahoo Sports Segment 4. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. Joined by our producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, I think everyone's just sick and tired already of the arguing between owners and players. We just want to see a deal done. Tell us we're going to have football in September. Agree. Sign the dotted line. Let's play ball. Get these players out there. $9 billion a year. That's what the NFL brings in in revenue. A lot of money there. Don't be greedy pigs. Get it done. All right, headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. I walk in the club and they front the bill. I'm the big dog. Best beware. You coming with me if you stop and stay. She'll be on my team, in my car, on the way to the spot. Yes, you are. Toasting up, toasting up, and when we done, we West Coast in love. For Shindo, blowing how much for the dog? Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Headline number one, the NFL and the NFL Players Association have mutually agreed to a seven-day extension of their talks toward a new collective bargaining agreement. This was decided on Friday after there was already a 24-hour extension. So now we're looking at Friday, possibly Monday, where they have these talks. And under the terms of the tolling agreement, League's 32 teams will be prohibited from conducting or executing player transactions. So, Griggs, the good news is is they're continuing to talk. They're still at the table. We're not in nuclear mode with decertification or lockout. So, you know, you want to see them continue to uh, stay at the table. Yeah, I'm encouraged by the extension because, like you said, they're talking. Things are moving along. That's a good sign. I hope they do get it done by next Friday just so we can get this going and move on and get the season going. Now, here's another interesting tidbit from this week. Quarterbacks Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady, they're among the players who have agreed to be named as plaintiffs if the NFLPA files an antitrust lawsuit against the NFL. So these are Mount Rushmore faces for the NFL. This is not a scenario that the NFL wants where they're being sued by three of their most prominent players. But it's interesting to see how the momentum has shifted this week to the players' side. We're going to talk more with Jason Cole from YahooSports.com. He's their NFL reporter in Segment 4 about the latest with the negotiations this week, including a ruling from Judge David Doty that says, hey, owners, you don't get that $4 billion in lockout funds from the TV deals that you thought you had. Speaking of the NFL, and this you know just makes us all laugh even more, NBC, they're seeking a record $3.5 million for a 30-second ad during Super Bowl 46. We're already talking about Super Bowl 46. Griggs, we don't even know if there's going to be football. They're arguing about $9 billion a year in revenue. And NBC's talking about getting $3.5 million. There's money all around. Why can't these bozos just figure out how to divide it and move on down the road? Don't be a greedy pig, as I say. <laughs> yeah, you'd think, it, you'd think they would just figure one thing out, get that sign, and go on. But hey, you know, it's, it's like America. Always moving ahead to the next big dollar. So. A lot at stake here. We broke a lot of it down on our show last week. If you want to catch the podcast of that at sportsbusinessradio.com, we'll break even more down, like I said, with Jason Cole in segment four. Our next headline, not good news if you're a Sacramento Kings fan and you want the team to stay in Sacramento. The NBA on Tuesday gave the Kings until April 18th to apply to relocate the team for next season. Lots of rumors going around that they're going to relocate to Anaheim. And Griggs, to me... Here's what this story basically means. Okay, March 1st was the deadline, but the NBA is saying, well, if we announce that you're relocating on March 1st, do you think you're going to have any fans at your games the rest of the season? So we'll give you till the 18th when your season's probably over because you're not making the playoffs. Then you can announce it, and it won't sharply impact your attendance. That's the Reader's Digest version of this. It's just a joke. I mean, I'm sitting here just kind of chuckling because it just it's what a mess. You know, while we say this now, it won't hurt this and blah, blah. I mean, it's just it's a mess. And I, I think they will eventually be moved just because... 
there's just nothing going on down there. No, Sacramento is, is you know, they've worked for 10 to 15 years to try and solve that riddle with the new arena, have not been able to solve it. Even the mayor, Kevin Johnson, former NBA player, who has tried to get a new arena deal done, came out this week and said, I think the Maloofs are moving. So, good luck drawing any fans at uh, Power Balance Arena, no longer Arco Arena, for the rest of the year. Sad, because Sacramento was once a real uh, strong fan base. If the Kings do apply to move, it's going to take the majority vote of 30 NBA owners to approve it. Griggs, this is for you. The Cubs have invited fans to apply for the job of Wrigley Field PA announcer. They are partnering with CareerBuilder.com to find a new Wrigley Field PA announcer starting this week through March 7th. So candidates are invited to submit their applications online, including an audio or video sample. Finalists will be selected for live auditions at Wrigley. Look, even if I don't get the job, if I got to go to Wrigley and, like, practice my PA announcing, that'd be kind of a, a, a fun thing. Griggs, I think you're in, man. Well, now, the starting lineups for your, yeah, I think I got a future in that. <laughs> I think you do too, and, and if you're like the Yankees guy who was there for like 77 years, right. I mean, you might be like 94 years old at Wrigley Field uh, you know, announcing the Cubs. I'm not mad at that. I would definitely do that. That'd be fun. All right, our last headline of the week, this a scary one. Serena Williams has undergone an emergency procedure connected to her earlier treatment for a pulmonary embolism. This is serious stuff. So she had a blood clot. It went up to her heart. Uh, she may miss the next 6 to 12 months. And this is a real blow to tennis. I mean, forget about her health for a minute, which is of the utmost importance. But women's tennis, you know, you can put uh, all these other Russian women at the top of the rankings it's Venus and Serena. The common fan, those are household names. Without Venus and Serena playing regularly, women's tennis, and you've got Wimbledon coming up in the U.S. Open, people just don't care. Yeah, it's kind of like Tiger. When he's not playing, the ratings drop for the PGA, and that's going to be the same with tennis because you're right. They, those two drive that sport for women. Well, and she's only 29 years old, but she's won 13 Grand Slams, including the 2010 Australian Open and Wimbledon titles. All right, a jam-packed show the rest of the way. Rand Gatlin coming up next. We're going to talk about some really negative stories that came out in college football this week. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. 
With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Rand Gatlin. He's a writer for Yahoo's ThePostGame.com, also the president of Synergy Sports. He's joined us on the show many times before. Lots going on in the world of college football this week. Rand, thanks for joining us. Brian, thanks for having me. Always great to be back. Interesting story. Uh, Sports Illustrated CBS this week, six-month investigation, ran criminal background checks on top 25 programs of the 2,837 players that they studied. 7% had criminal records. Only two of the top 25 schools did background checks. Not a very flattering article and study done if you're the NCAA and, and the college football world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a troubling, uh, it's a troubling look at the problems inherent within uh, college football. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to delve into this. I know we have short time, but there's so many surrounding issues uh, that are not often uh, looked at very carefully, uh, cultural influences, socioeconomic conditions, et cetera. And all of those kind of lead into uh, the statistics. And, and as you looked at them, there were some pretty shocking things included in the story. But certainly, uh, you know, with or without explanation, it's something that is troubling to everyone who takes a look at it. I mean, you you look at Pittsburgh, who tops the list, 22 players charged with a crime. Iowa, 18 players charged with a crime. Arkansas, 18. Boise State, this surprised me, 16. Penn State, 16. Joe Paul, what's going on there? I mean, how do you, in this day and age, recruit players and not do background checks? We see at the NFL level, the NBA level, when people are doing pre-draft studies and doing their homework. It's extensive, but they're not doing this on the college level. Is it really that we've come to the win at all cost? I don't care if you have a criminal background, if you can help me win games. That's all I care about. Well, you know, Dave Wants that came out today, uh, the former coach of, of uh, the University of Pittsburgh, and, and um and he had a statement where he said every player was evaluated and scrutinized. And uh, we try to project whether they would become productive members of our football program as well as the university at large. And then they had 20 some odd uh, arrests. And, and he characterized them as an unfortunate stretch of incidents last summer. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is uh, Dave Wanstead is a guy who uh, was very interested in winning. That's why he was in college athletics. And the end game for these guys is winning games. As we saw, he got the ax. Why? Because he didn't win enough games. And they thought that he should have been operating at a, at a higher level, I suppose, in his position with what they were paying them. Well, that's the external market force that leads to some of these issues that you see. Coaches really do have to find an edge. And with the NCAA out there consistently attempting to level the playing field, uh, the efficacy of which we can debate, you know, at length, uh, you certainly see coaches stepping over into the gray areas. And and when you uh, play on slippery slopes, sometimes you lose your footing and you slip all the way down. So in this study of the 277 incidents uncovered, nearly 40 percent involve serious offenses, including 56 violent crimes such as assault and battery, domestic violence, aggravated assault. I mean, this isn't just, hey, uh, I got into a barroom brawl with an unruly fan. This is serious stuff. All shocking. And, you know, it says it was about 40 percent of the 277 incidents they uncovered uh, were serious offenses. You know, 
clearly something that, that makes you pause. Uh, that being said, you know, I'm not sure that it's much higher than, you know, the, the universally populous, university populace at large. I think there's been some uh, writing on that, not to defend these kids, but at the same time, you know, you look at it and you say, these kids are supposed to be representatives of the institution. We hold them out to be idols, et cetera. When this kind of stuff happens, don't you think we owe it to our universities, especially for a public institution, to at the very, very least, take a deep and thorough look into the backgrounds of the individuals that we're bringing into our school to wear our colors and represent our university. Do you think that's happening enough? I mean, you work closely with uh, universities and athletic departments. Do you think they're taking a close enough look? You know, the truth of the matter is I think what they're very interested in uh, at most times is winning, period. And so things like this that should be done but are not necessary will never be done until they become compulsory. Uh, And that's kind of where we stand. You know, one of the best ways to get people to do stuff sometimes is to shame them into doing it. Uh, A lot of people will stand in denial. And, you know, you'll hear coaches across the country say this is this is garbage. You know, a lot of this was traffic violations and these have been mischaracterized. And we do a lot to look at these kids backgrounds. And you say, well, what do you do? Well, we talk to their high school coaches. Well, sir, do you think that their coach may have a uh, a little bit of a conflict of interest and to make sure that his school's putting out good kids every year to get D1 scholarships? You know, of course they are. So, you know, are the coaches doing enough? Absolutely not. You know, is it understandable given uh, the focus uh, that the athletics department's uh, place on, on winning football games? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because I think that if a kid got in trouble for larceny uh, two summers before he arrives at your school, you really don't care as long as he doesn't get caught for larceny while he's at your university. Rand Gatlin joins us. Rand, another big story this week was Gary Wishard, who is an NFL agent, and he's been linked to the University of North Carolina and their football program. Several players have already been declared ineligible. Uh, what's the latest with that story? Because that seems like it took another twist this week. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A while back, I wrote a, uh, a piece for thepostgame.com that uh, essentially discussed the inaction of the North Carolina Secretary of State, the people that have uh, jurisdiction over over this uh, this issue. And uh, they hadn't done anything. Now, mind you, this this uh, whole story came out, came out back in July, and Yahoo Sports released a series of reports, some of which had uh, hotel receipts with Protect Management, Gary Wishard's company, uh, right right above Marvin Austin's name. Uh, you know, another thing nobody ever discusses is they said Kentuan Balmer paid for the rooms. However, there were two rooms at the uh, Marriott they were staying at for a number of weeks. So, you know, who was staying in the second room? Was it for Kentuan's luggage or, you know, was it for Marvin Austin? And then nobody ever really dug into that in depth, but Yahoo was all over it. You know, the truth of the matter is I had lost all hope that the Secretary of State out in North Carolina was going to do anything about Gary Richard and the NFLPA, uh, the Players Association, who did have the opportunity to kind of uh, uh, punish Gary, I guess a little bit for his actions, gave him a slap on the wrist, suspended him for nine months. He'll be back for recruiting next season. Well, now the Secretary of State of North Carolina has uh, issued a warrant for his uh, for his records, his financial records from his bank. Um, and it looks like they're going to look into a little bit more. And what they're trying to figure out, if there were any wire transfers made to accounts presumably linked to John Blake or uh, or other coaches. And, uh, and you know, this is a step, uh, a tremendous step in the right direction for the uh, state of North Carolina in getting a remedy to the uh, the wrath that was brought down in their school by these agents, uh, uh, you know, rogue coaches and, and runners. The other story that broke this week broke by uh, Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. University of Oregon looks like they may have some problems with their football program. I know we can't go in-depth right now because we don't have a lot of time, but uh, for people out there who may not have heard what's going on there, give us the, uh, the Reader's Digest version. Well, basically, you've got a, a NCAA rule that says you can pay for recruiting services, which give you, you know, birth dates on kids, videos of kids out there, you know, basically glorified scout and rivals recruiting sites that 
give you a bunch of information, but these guys are charging the schools directly. There's been a bit of an underground movement uh, where these guys uh, curry favor with kids, and then you know the allegations have been throughout the years. Schools pay them a chunk of change to steer them in their direction in uh, one way, shape, or form. Well, it looks like Oregon got caught up with one of the most notorious, a guy by the name of Will Lyles, and uh, they made a $25,000 payment to him, and the question becomes, whether that payment was specifically for a recruiting service or if there was some understanding uh, implicit or otherwise that uh, this guy would you know, use a little bit of the favor that he had with some of these star players to come to our school. And incidentally, the guys located in Houston and anyone that's been following Ducks recruiting for the past couple of years has seen, uh, we've certainly picked up a lot of guys, or the University of Oregon's picked up a lot of guys from uh, the state of Texas and the state of Florida as of late. So it's, uh, you know, it's put it, to put it nicely, it's troubling. Uh, best case scenario, it, it looks dirty, it appears dirty. Worst case scenario, the University of Oregon's got a tremendous problem on their hands. Just last question here, $25,000. So what do you get for that $25,000? Are you getting some DVDs? Are you getting a pamphlet? <laughs> what are you getting for $25,000? You know, that's, that's a really great question. A lot of people have addressed it in the past 24 hours. Bruce Feldman said that there is a legitimate recruiting service out there, XOS, that charges $40,000. And uh, you get a lot. But some of the other people who have uh, sold services to Oregon in the past have made comments as of late. And they said, you know, in essence, hey, uh, if they charge $25,000, that's significantly more than we've ever charged. And uh, that better be a hell of a recruiting service because uh, I can't imagine how such an exorbitant price could be justified. You know, I, I will uh, step out there and, and, and just, uh, you know, posit that it is it is probably far from likely uh, especially given Yahoo's track record with these kinds of stories that, uh, that is all over and done with. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it unfolds. It'll certainly be interesting to look at over the, over the coming days. And, uh, you know, it'll be a good question to have answered. What does $25,000 buy? And the NCAA is uh, going to compel Oregon to uh, illustrate to them exactly what that was. We have so much that we need to, to cover that we will cover with you in future shows. Rand Gatlin, he's a writer for Yahoo's ThePostGame.com, also the president of Synergy Sports. Rand, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Brian, thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Coming up next, Jason Cole from YahooSports.com. He's their NFL reporter. We're going to go behind the scenes with the latest with the NFL and the NFL Players Association, their negotiations. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SBRadio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Jason Cole. He's an NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Jason Cole Yahoo. Jason, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Uh, good to be here. So, a little bit of breaking news at the time we taped this. The NFL and the NFL Players Association have mutually agreed to a seven-day extension of their talks. Obviously, this is a good sign. Do you feel like they can get something done by a week from now? Well, actually, I would prefer if it was a shorter deadline because I think it would make them work faster and more furiously. And when when this you know late last night, I heard that it was a ten-day idea that that the union had agreed to, but the NFL had to had to get uh, in concert with. I thought you know that's way too long. Seven, I guess, is okay, but I'd rather have the you know the pressure of the immediacy um, with it. I think that there is something to be said for sort of wearing down the hardline owners um, progressively as they look down the barrel at um, decertification, you know, class action lawsuit that's going to feature the three of the biggest names in the NFL, uh, an injunction, you know, all these things that they're likely to lose on, you know, frankly. So I think that some of those hardline owners will, will hopefully start to melt a little bit. I know that they already have, you know, there's been some erosion on the NFL's, you know, the the owner side of this thing. So maybe in another week we'll uh, we'll provide more of that. Well, another key factor in this happened this week. So the NFL's ability to lock out its players in the long term, big hit on Tuesday when U.S. District Court Judge David Doty ruled against the league and its owners over their ability to access $4 billion in lockout funds from the TV networks. Maybe you can explain to our audience how that impacts these talks. Well, it's huge because, I mean, look, the NFL owners have gone out of their way to take less money. Uh, to get that lockout insurance, you know, on the long-term value of those deals, so that they could have money to pay some of their debt load uh, over the short term, you know, such as you know with the new stadiums in New England and Dallas, uh, and certainly in New York, the one that the Jets and the Giants share, those uh, had a lot of private financing with very high interest rates. That uh, those those owners are really you know behind the eight ball in terms of paying that debt off. And they needed that money short-term to make sure that it was taken care of. Take that away. Yeah, the NFL still has plenty of lockout funds. I mean, they, they talk a lot about how they've got a billion dollars set aside to do this. But yeah, the reality is they wouldn't have gone to such lengths to move that money around and create that lockout insurance fund if it was not meaningful to them. The other thing I laugh at is it's like when people talk about this lockout fund for the the owners, it's almost like this is the only money in the world that exists for them. These are multi-billionaires who have money, and sure, they may not want to tap into that money from their other sources of revenue, but it's not like they're going to go belly up the next day because they can't access those funds. So I just have thought that's a little bit interesting, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's something to that. But the other thing is, not all of these owners you know, have have those kinds of deep pockets. I mean, Cincinnati um, has they're worth a billion dollars if you include the stadium and the team, but they really don't have that kind of liquid assets like, say, an Arthur Blank does. So there's a difference between some of these. The Rooneys are another one. They don't have the kind of liquid capital that we're talking about. Yeah, sure, can they go get loans? But again, we're talking about high interest rates, whereas this advance money would not be on interest rates. It would just take away from their future 
you know, their future earnings on those TV deals. So, yeah, this was just another way for them to access money. It doesn't, I don't think it kills them and their ability to have a lockout, um, but I think it puts a crimp in what their plans were. We're joined by Jason Cole. He's an NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. Find him on Twitter, at Jason Cole Yahoo. Jason, a guy who has become maybe the central figure to this entire negotiation is U.S. District Court Judge David Doty, who ruled against the owners this week, as we just said. Seems like this could all be under his jurisdiction. If there is decertification, that might be in his courtroom, and I know that's something that scares many NFL owners. <laughs> Scare would be um, a polite way of, uh, of putting it. Terrify might be more accurate. I mean, they, they, they literally hate David Doty, and the league wants to be out of the Doty court um, so badly. I mean, that, because they feel like he rules against them no matter what, um, even when it's um, nonsensical in their eyes. And, of course, I mean, look, there's, there's bias on both sides of this one. You, you talk to the player side of it, and they think that, um, you know, that David Doty is a fair and just man, and he'll listen to the owner's side of it, and he is uh, you know, Darth Vader in this whole thing. And, and the, the actuality is when you read the decisions, you know, he's probably leans a little bit more toward the player, but in the end of, end of this, you know, the rights in court protect the individuals and, and that needs to be understood. I mean, you know, not a lot of these things, you know, the, the sports is a very different business where the rights of a player are held for a lot, much longer time. And this is not normal in business. I mean, you don't have a situation where people are drafted into their companies, okay, like this. I mean, they're out, out able to peddle their wares to the highest bidder. Now, in this case, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be drafted by a sports team because there's a lot of money at the other end, but it is a short-term business. Let's talk about Doty. What is his history with the NFL? I mean, we're talking well, about we're how— we're talking 22 years. I mean, he's been, he was the judge in the Reggie White case and the Freeman McNeil case um, back in 1989. And those cases paved the way for what we have now in the collective bargaining agreement and the salary cap. So he's been had jurisdiction over this case for 22 or 23 years. And and meanwhile, just you know, so everybody understands, during that 22 or 23 years, we've had labor peace. I mean, the last time you had uh, any kind of labor dispute was 1987, and so you've had labor peace because of it. And the business has doubled, I think, twice in terms of value. I mean, it's gone from slightly under $2 billion to be over worth more than $9 billion now. So it's not like his jurisdiction has killed them economically. Jason, a question I get all the time. What does it mean if the NFL Players Union decertifies? What happens then? Well, they go from being a union, which bargains as one unit, to being basically a trade association, which is a collection of individuals. Um, and it allows for a class action lawsuit. It allows for, um, you know, it basically makes it much more difficult for a business to lock you out um, because, again, you know, courts protect the rights of individuals much more, whereas with a union, um, uh, you know, those, those rights are, are oftentimes bargained away. The rights of the individuals are bargained away as they join that union so that they have greater protection. I mean, all the classic reasons that you have unions. But in this case, a trade association is almost a little bit more advantageous um, for the NFL players because of the restrictions that they deal with uh, in terms of guaranteed contracts and the NFL's antitrust exemption. It just it, it, it works much more efficiently for them to not be a union. However, back in 
you know, 92, when the collective bargaining agreement was finished, the NFL basically said, we would like you to be a union. We don't want you to be a trade association. Interesting. You know, the thing that you talked about earlier in the interview and that came out this week is that Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, these are all players, prominent players on the the Mount Rushmore of the NFL, if you would, that could be filing lawsuits against the league. That's got to be a real embarrassment for the for the owners in the league if that happens. Well, you know, this is this is interesting because back in the 80s for people who you know, have some faint memory of this. One of the ways that the the league was able to undermine the union is that they created things like the quarterback club, and they were able to basically get the quarterbacks to splinter off away from the union and not really be part of the strike or or part of the union itself in terms of managing the union. This is you know a, this is a complete 180 from that, where now you have, as you say, three the three guys who are on the Mount Rushmore of the current NFL are putting their face and their names on a class action lawsuit um, that could really, you know, could, could, could be part of a, a huge, years-long uh, fight with the NFL if this ends up in court, and ultimately could be part of what keeps the NFL in the doty court. So all these things are bad for the NFL. It's a risk for the players. Let me just say this. You know, the, the it's not popular to put yourself on a, on a lawsuit. It doesn't doesn't really work out publicly very well for you. So the move that Peyton Manning has taken and Drew Brees and, and, and Tom Brady is, you know, there's, there's risk associated with it, and you have to you know, commend them for being willing to, to be there and, and put their name on it and to basically lead the union because many of the other players in the, in the union or if it's a trade association, follow suit with what the quarterbacks do. Jason, you know what I've thought about often in the last few months, not only with the NFL, but the NBA, just at a fundamental level. I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers, so, you know, around the NBA a lot. (laughs) NBA's got the NBA Cares program, the NFL, you know, they have the United Way, they have all their, here's what we're doing in the community. They Mm -hmm, build up the brand of their players. And by going through this exercise, they're tearing down that brand. They're hurting their own product on the basic level. And I just think if they come out of this, and you know they will at some point, you've done irreparable damage to your brand in the short term at least. Yeah, and this really comes at a time where, look, the NFL couldn't be more of a juggernaut. To stop any of that forward motion, you know, most people in business would say that's a drastic mistake. Now, the owners say, you know, the the, the, the numbers aren't working for us long term. We have to guard against it. That, I understand all of that. But if you're going to say that to the union, you gotta, you've got to come up with a different kind of a solution with the union rather than just say, we need $2 billion off the top rather than $1 billion all, off the top. I mean, when you come in with that drastic kind of, you know, uh, scorched earth approach, to these negotiations, and, and you know, it's 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 our way or nothing. You know, th- there's no way that the other side can can agree to it. So when you get into the whole you know idea of negotiation, which you know, some Sal called what the you know, the art of war. I mean, now you know the the art of a great you know the the way a great negotiation goes usually it ends with both sides claiming victory that there's something that they win on. Well, throughout these two years, what the NFL has basically offered is a lose is a lose proposition for the union. There's no way that D. Smith and the union could walk away from that saying we won anything, and, and that's been this hardline approach. It's very it's been very inartistic, um, and 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 yeah, I, I, I'm I'm flabbergasted with 
you know the the sort of one-sided nature that the that the you know ownership has put forward where they could have if they had been more you know artful with this maybe they could have had a resolution that would work for them by now do you think i mean roger goodell and demora smith this is their first showdown at the okay corral so to speak. And, you know, what's happened in the last week, I, I definitely think, you know, a week ago, if you would ask me, I said, you know, the owners, the billionaires always beat the millionaires, every single negotiation. Mm-hmm. But now I'm looking at this a little bit differently and I'm going, wow, they've got this Judge Doty. Demore Smith has pressed some buttons here. They've got the, the nuclear option of decertification. Uh, you know, you can see that it's definitely engaged the owners more than they were a week ago. Uh, correct. Because there, there, there's always points in any negotiation where the leverage shifts, okay? And with the union and with, you know, and labor and the players, the question was how quickly could they get that leverage to shift? Certainly the Tuesday decision on the TV money was one way that the leverage shifts. The other way that the leverage shifts is getting into court. And that's why, you know, the NFL, I think three weeks ago, filed a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board saying that, you know, they're... they're you know, attempts to decertify would be a sham. Well, that's fine, but eventually, you know, the NLRB can can't really stop them long term from decertifying. So, and there's not even a, there's a big question about whether the NLRB will do it at all. Uh, you know, because again, if you go back in history, the the reason that they became a union was at the behest of of the NFL way back in, you know, 89 through 92. Okay, that was that was part of the instruction as part of this agreement. So it would be very, very difficult for the NFL to win that case long term. So I think the owners are looking at this thing. They're going to end up in court a lot faster than we thought, and now we have, you know, we're going to have to re-engage. And again, if they had been more clever along the way and less hard line, I think there would have been more movement uh, until this point. But the NFL and the owners have not been terribly clever about how they want to negotiate this. Just a few minutes left with Jason Cole, NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. You wrote a terrific column. It's entitled Solution to End Owner Union Stalemate. I tweeted it out this week. And you've got some really good ideas, I think. And I'd love for you, I know we've only got a few minutes left, but in a nutshell, if you could kind of sum up, how do you? How would you solve this if you were sitting at the table with these guys? Well, but first of all, my my thing would be not let's not do this over a period of time. Let's do the the solution over a period of money. Okay, so the NFL is currently grossing nine billion dollars between tickets and TV and signage and all the other things that they do. They gross nine billion dollars, and they want two billion dollars. And, and the first billion right now goes back to the owners for expenses. Okay, and then they split eight billion dollars. What the owners are proposing is they want the first $2 billion to go to them, and then they split the next $7 billion, and they're, and they're arguing that they can then reinvest that money into the game and grow the game. Okay, fine. Instead of you know, taking the approach we wanted just off the top, let's make it an incentive program for the owners uh, and say, okay, let's make it the flip the percentages. Currently, the, the players get 60% of that $8 billion that I referred to, and the, and the owners get 40%. Well, if you say over the next $5 billion of growth, as we go from $9 billion to $14 billion, give the owners 60% of it, so that at the end of that, they're getting $3 billion, and the, and the players get $2 billion. That's their billion-dollar extra that they want, that they, you know, that they can take out of you know, the cost, 
uh, of you know building the game, and then you flip the percentages back to 60% for the players for the next $5 billion, as you go from $14 billion to $19 billion. So at the end of the day, over the next $10 billion of growth, as you go from $9 billion industry to a $10 billion industry, and this may last 12 to 15 years. So again, don't do it in terms of time, do it in terms of money. You'd have the 50-50 split, but the owners would initially get a greater share of the pie, a greater return on their money so that that their investment has better return, which is what they're looking for in the short term, okay? And the way you can start kickstart that if you wanted to is, you know, the 18-game schedule is supposedly worth a, a half a billion dollars a year, and you go from 16 to 18 games. If I was the players, I would say, look, don't cut our pay. You know, we'll, do, we'll negotiate some other things on the backside of this deal, you know, minimum sal- you know, salary floors and all those kinds of things. And just say, that first $500 million, we will give you to that money as seed money to help grow the game and keep, and keep improving it. And then adjust the percentages as you go. I mean, these are all general terms. But if you give the owners an incentive that they're going to get greater return on their money, then that gives them a greater, um, you know, <laughs> greater incentive to grow the game. And that can be your solution, rather than the scorched earth approach of you got to give us a billion dollars off the top, or you know, or you know, all hell will rain loose, all, all hell will rain down. I mean, we got we've got to come up with more creative solutions. Well, and the thing is, Jason, if you look at the growth pattern of the NFL, you know, you can almost promise. I mean, we've been in a terrible economy in this country in the last few years. The NFL has continued to grow despite a bad economy. So you can almost project that it's going to grow a certain amount. So those revenues are going to be coming in, right? Look, the the NFL currently, and I'm not saying this is going to go on forever because baseball 30 years ago was a national pastime, and that has certainly changed. But nothing sells like organized violence, as as the MMA has shown. All right. So if you've got the best product for organized violence, and that is team violence in in football, you, you got a pretty good bet that you're going to be making more money here over the short term. And we're coming off the greatest ratings of all time, and they sold 100,000 tickets to the game, even if they screwed up 400 of them. You know, <laughs> this, you know, the, the, all all indicators are. Football is pretty much, um, you know, recession-proof, as as you have indicated. So make the bet if you're the players and you're the owners. Make the bet on future revenues rather than trying to get hung up on past revenues. No, I agree. Gosh, we could have this conversation for the next hour. I've really enjoyed it. Jason Cole, NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. Find him on Twitter at Jason Cole Yahoo. Jason, thanks so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Anytime. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR. We'll be right back. If I wrote you a Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. 
My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. This is always a tough week for me. 21 years ago this week, I was courtside broadcasting with my Sports Business Radio co-founder, Keith Foreman, Loyola Marymount Basketball, and Hank Gathers, the star of that team, he had led the nation in scoring and rebounding, collapsed and died. March 4th, 1990. So every year around this time, I'm reminded of that day, also lots of stuff in the media. Everyone remembers that team. They went on to the Great Eight. And I got to tell you, I was absolutely heartbroken when I learned this week that almost 21 years ago to the day, Wes Leonard, a high school star in Michigan, after making a game-winning shot in overtime, he collapsed and died. And, you know, these heart things... Oftentimes, you don't know what's going on with your heart unless you've had 3D imaging done. And as in the case of Wes Leonard, they creep up on you and they happen and you don't get that second chance to go in and get your heart scanned. You just die. And it's really a sad story, Griggs. Yeah, it's it's one of those heartbreakers. And this kid apparently was like the star quarterback of the team, you know, 6'3 athlete, promising future, over a thousand points this season for the team and uh, made the winning shot. That's that night he died. Which is really weird because, like, Hank Gathers, he had just made an unbelievable half-court alley-oop play. His friends and family were in town from Philadelphia. It's almost like these Shakespearean outings for Hank Gathers and Wes Leonard. And, uh, you know, I'm sure both love basketball. I know Hank adored basketball, so if you're going to go out, that's the way he would have wanted to go out. But it's just such a tough thing to see, and it's such a public thing in front of all your friends and family and fans, and um, really, really sad. So our hearts go out to Wes Leonard and his family this week. A lot of thank yous on the show. Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports, fantastic NFL reporter. you got to read him, yahoosports.com. Rand Gatlin, thepostgame.com. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Patrick O'Neill, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd really appreciate it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. 
and I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.